The following sermon is brought to you by ThePreachersVault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. I think there is always more tension, maybe on my part at least, the last night of a meeting maybe than any other, because when you come to the close, you realize that this is not the end of the story. There's still another chapter. Someday I'll have to stand accountable to God for the selection, for the preparation, and for the presentation of every message. You couldn't help but wonder if maybe you had given some other lesson on certain occasion. Others who should have done so would have obeyed the gospel, or others who should have done so would have come back to the Lord. Well, whatever has not been said that should have been, whatever information should be given, whatever exhortation, whatever lesson or thought that might be serving as an incentive to obey the gospel, will you be praying that I will be God's mouthpiece tonight and that when the invitation is extended in a few moments that many people will respond and heaven will be singing and what a great night and what a great way to close the meeting. I thought you would find the following rather amusing and somewhat of a commentary on the thinking of so many people. He sat at the dinner table with a discontented frown. The potatoes and steak were underdone and the bread was baked too brown. The pie was sour, the pudding too sweet, the mincemeat much too fat. The soup was greasy, but lacking meat, it was hardly fit to feed the cat. I wish you could taste the bread and pies I've seen my mother make. They were great and good for your eyes just to look at a slice of her cake. Said the smiling wife, I'll improve with age. But just now I'm only a beginner. But your mother called to see me today and I got her to cook the dinner. Isn't there a certain amount of prejudice on the part of all of us, really? And doesn't that prejudice even extend into our religious thinking? Prejudice will keep some people out of heaven. In 2 Kings 5, verses 1 to 13, old Naaman, a leper, a man with incurable, incurable disease, a man who was really somewhat of an outcast, he almost missed being cleansed because of prejudice. In Matthew 13 and 15, Jesus said, This people's heart is waxed gross, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed. Prejudice will keep many people out of heaven. Well, tonight in the final message, as you listen, will you, as free from prejudice as you could possibly be, and swallowing the pride as much as you possibly could, and regardless of your former thinking, or regardless of what you might have taken for granted, will you tonight listen and probe and think and examine as you have never probed and examined and thought before about your own situation? If time's knell should suddenly be sounded now, and if life's curtain should suddenly drop, and if you would immediately be hurled into eternity, without any further step, without any more preparation, without any change, would you make it to heaven? Are you sure? 
Is it possible for a man to make sure that he's going to heaven? Or does the Lord keep us in darkness? Are we held in suspense? Do we have to wait until the judgment day? What did the inspired apostle Peter mean when he said, give the more diligence? And that same expression is found in 2 Timothy 2.15. The more familiar translation said study. Others say give all diligence. Go all out, leave no stone unturned to show yourself approved unto God. So give diligence to make your calling and your election sure. 2 Peter 1.10, have you done that? What a day of surprise the judgment day is going to be. We might be surprised that some made it we didn't think would. And we might be rather surprised that some of us didn't make it and we were pretty sure that we would. But Matthew 7, 21 to 23 depicts the surprise that some will face at the judgment day. You can tonight change, but you can't then that eternal destiny. Woe be unto the man that takes too much for granted. Woe be unto the person who doesn't make sure that all is well. It matters not what else you save if you lose your soul, and it matters not what else you lose if you save your soul. It's better never to have been born at all than never to have been born the second time. It's better to live for Christ than to wish you had. Death comes every day to someone and someday to everyone, and it'll be your time before you realize it. Hebrews 9:27 said it is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. Everybody has a date with death. We don't know exactly when that date is. Many people expect to be saved at the 11th hour and then die at 9:30, and that's tragic. The clock has already struck 11 for some people, and, and midnight is just seconds away. And many people don't even know it. Most people think they have more time than they really have. Job 24, 22 said, no man is sure of life. Proverbs 27 and 1, don't boast yourself of tomorrow. You don't know what a day may bring forth. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Amos 4, 12, prepare now to meet thy God, O Israel. There is a little tiny thin line that separates the relinquished past from the untrodden future. It's the holy now, N-O-W. And we live all of our lives upon that little tiny thin line. It's always now. The past is gone and can't be brought back. The future hasn't come and might not come. All you have is now. But when you do what you have to do and do it now and spell now backwards, you have the answer. Every time you do what you have to do and do it now and look back at it, you will have won. Otherwise, you will have lost. Each man has to bear his own burden, Galatians 6, 5. Nobody can bear it for you. How many times have you wished that you could walk down that aisle for some loved one? A wife walking down that aisle for her husband. Or a parent walking down that aisle for a child. Or a child walking down that aisle for a parent or for a friend or a loved one. 
How many times have you wished that somebody else could step up and, and answer for you at the judgment? Saying, I'll take his place. Let me speak for him. But none of that. We can bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6, 2, but there's one burden nobody can bear for you. You can cast your burdens upon the Lord. He will sustain you. Psalm 55, 10, but there's one burden that you have to bear for yourself. That's the burden of, of personal, individual responsibility. And as a, an individual, you'll stand before the Almighty. Job said, my witness is in heaven, my record is on high, Job 16 and 19. God is that witness, as Paul mentioned in Romans 1, 9. Hebrews 2, 2 speaks of the record that's being kept on high. And there won't be any mistake on the part of the witness and there won't be any error in the record that's being kept in heaven. That we might make mistakes in the keeping of a church role. We might have some names on that really ought not be there and we might by mistake have left some names off. But there won't be any such mistake in the Lamb's book of life. Nobody's name will be there that shouldn't be and nobody's name by mistake will be left off. The Bible said God knoweth them that are his, 2 Timothy 2, 19. I might not know all that are his, but God does. I might think that I'm his, but God knows. And what we think won't change the situation. So tonight, all of that being true, since the parent can't answer for you, you can't answer for the parent, the husband can't answer for the wife or vice versa, since each man has to stand before the Almighty, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Romans 14, 11, 12. Even though you're bashful, you're retiring, you don't really feel comfortable in, in, in speaking out, you'll do that nonetheless. Everybody will have to appear and everybody will have to give an account. You can do something about it now, but you can't then. In Acts 1.25, we're told that when Judas died, he went to his own place. Who determined it? Judas did. Not only when he sold the Lord, he determined it all along. And there won't be any misfits in heaven and there won't be any people out of place in hell. And each man is determining in this life the place he'll occupy in the next life. And he's determining by every decision, by every step, by every thought, by every action, by his whole outlook, taking advantage or not taking advantage of opportunities, not taking anything for granted or taking things for granted. We're determining now the place we'll occupy in the world to come. We're actually deciding tonight and tomorrow night, and the next night, if time permits, well, we don't have any assurance of that, but we're deciding constantly each hour our eternal destiny. So if you died tonight, would you make it? Are you sure? Is there anything you need to do that you haven't done? Is there any step you need to take? Is there anything you need to make right that you haven't made right? In all probability, we'll never all together be gathered on earth as we are here in this building. On other occasions, some will have passed on into eternity. Some will have moved away. Some might have fallen by the wayside. Virtually, it would be a different audience. You never wade in the same stream twice. That water goes on, and you wade in another water next time.
but all of us will meet on the judgment day. I'm hoping and praying that nobody could say you had four days and you failed to impress upon me the seriousness of making adequate preparation for my soul. Let me ask you tonight, how interested are you in going to heaven? Do you really mean business? Are you serious? Does heaven mean more than, than other things or are other things really more important? What a man goes after here will determine where the man goes hereafter. And we might ask, what on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? How much does heaven mean to you? How much time do you really spend thinking about it? How long was it up in this day, March 19, a Wednesday, before you had any thought of anything of a spiritual nature? How many days passed by? Didn't give any thought to that which pertains to the eternal welfare of your soul. We're so busy earning bread for our children, we haven't learned that children can't live by bread alone. What does heaven really mean? Well, here's what Peter said. It means anxiously desire the coming of the Lord. 2 Peter 3.12. Are you anxiously desiring his coming? The last prayer in the Bible. Revelation 22.20. Come, Lord Jesus. Have you ever heard anybody pray that prayer? I don't believe in all my life I've ever heard anybody pray that prayer. In a sense, we've heard people pray, Lord, don't come anytime soon. Don't come tonight. Don't come anytime soon. But when a man falls in love with heaven, there is a nostalgia of the soul. There's a homesickness for heaven. One old aged saint who had served as an elder, one of the godliest men I've ever known, very successful as, as a businessman, but... Even though he was a great success, you couldn't be with the old gentleman five minutes. He didn't have that subject back on something of a spiritual nature. He lived in the Bible, really. And not long before his death, he put his arm around me and said, George, just think. And his voice quivered. And he got emotional. He said, just sitting down with old Abraham and Isaac and Peter, Jacob and John and Paul and the redeemed of all the ages... He could hardly get the words out. He said, won't it be wonderful? He said, I can hardly wait. Does heaven mean that much to you? Are you that homesick for heaven? Do you have that nostalgia of the soul? Paul speaks of those who love the appearing of the Lord, 2 Timothy 4, 8. Some people dread it. Paul said a man should so live that he loves that appearing. In Titus 2, 12 to 14, he speaks of that glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It won't be glorious to some people because they're not ready. But we decide whether we anxious desire his coming. We, we decide whether or not it'll be glorious or blessed or that we love the appearing of the Lord. What do you spend most of your time thinking about? Heaven and heavenly things are the world and worldly things. You can't really lay up treasures in heaven and treasure on earth at the same time. That is ultimate treasure. That doesn't mean that you can't have any kind of an accumulation of things. A man may have nothing and still have treasures on earth. A man may have much and still have a treasure in heaven. It's the ultimate. It's that real treasure. It's where your heart really is.
It's that which means more to you than anything else. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. You can't be carnally minded and spiritual minded at the same time, Romans 8, 5 and 6. You can't mind earthly things and have a citizenship in heaven at the same time, Philippians 3, 19 and 20. Well, what about in your case? You are determining day by day what really means more to you, and that's really where you will eventually be. So what about it tonight? Do you really mean business? In Jeremiah 50 and verse 5, the Bible said they would ask the way to Zion with their faces turned toward it. Some are asking, but they're looking in the other direction. They don't mean business. They're not looking in that direction. If you don't remember anything else this week, remember this. What you ask in religion is never as important as why you ask it. For instance, Acts 16 and 30. What must I do to be saved? That's a good question. Provided it's asked for the right purpose. But what you ask is not nearly as important as why you ask it. You see, a man could say, what must I do to be saved? To start an argument. If you want to start an argument in religious circles, you can just ask that question and start it. Or you could ask it to put somebody on the spot just to see what he would say. You could ask it to show off your own knowledge. You could ask it to, to really put somebody on the spot. You could ask it with an ulterior motive. But in this case, Acts 16 and 30, that question came from a hungry soul. What he asked really was determined by why he asked it. He really meant business. He was serious about it. He really wanted to know. And when he was told, he did it. He did something about it. Saul of Tarsus had lived all good conscience before God, Acts 23, 1. But he was wrong. But the real test of a man's sincerity is, what will he do when, once he's found that he's wrong? Would he alibi? Would he rationalize? Would he explain it away? Would he, would he try to somehow get right? No, not Saul of Tarsus. His parents before him were of the very strictest sect of the, of the Pharisees. But when he found out he was wrong, regardless of his parents or anybody else, he knew each man had to bear his own burden. And he wanted to be sure he was right. He was asking the way to Zion with his face turned toward it. What about you? What about the people on Pentecost? Some of them had actually participated in the crucifixion of Jesus. And on that occasion, Peter said some things that were pricking. No wonder they were pricked in their hearts. Sometimes we're not even saying anything that would prick people anymore. But Peter knew they were lost, and he didn't want them to be lost. And he had to let them know that they were lost. And when he said, let all of the house of Israel know assuredly, it's not guesswork, but know assuredly, that that same Jesus whom you crucified has been made both Lord and Christ, they couldn't keep their seats. That was it. They cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Acts 2.36. And in the original, that has more feeling than we get in the English. It carries with it something like this. What on earth can we do? We're lost. We're undone. We're about to miss heaven. We didn't know it. What on earth can we do? And they were told to repent. That's not easy. It's never easy to repent. They were told to be baptized. Everyone in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins. They didn't quibble. They didn't question. They didn't argue. They didn't debate the issue. They had as much right as anybody. But no, they were asking the way to Zion with their faces turned toward it. They weren't asking for an, with an ulterior motive. 
They really meant business. They wanted to go to heaven, even if it meant a change. And it did call for a change. It called for a real about face. It wasn't any easier for them to face the people after they made that change than it is for you. But they didn't care. And the Bible said on that day about 3,000 souls obeyed. Those that gladly received it were baptized, Acts 2.41. Why didn't others receive it? I mean, why didn't others, why weren't they baptized? Because they didn't receive it gladly. You either receive it gladly and are baptized as they were, or like Luke 7 and 30, some rejected the counsel of God not being baptized. Will you receive it gladly and be baptized, or will you reject it and not be? What would a man have to gain by arguing and quibbling? He could say, oh, that's just your interpretation. That's just your view. That doesn't change the facts. Actually, you're not arguing with any preacher. You're arguing with the Lord. And that's serious business because someday you'll have to stand before him. You don't have to stand before the preacher, but you have to stand before the Almighty. Old Naaman almost missed being cleansed, but when one of his servants said, Master, if, if the prophet had bid you do some great thing, you know you would have done it. But you just go and and wash and be cleansed. And the Bible said when he did, his flesh became as the flesh of a babe. And that same thing happens, but we have to humble ourselves. You cannot enter with pride. You've got to break that pride. Matthew 18, 1 to 4 said, in conversion, you have to humble yourself as a little child or else you can't enter. And many people have too much pride, too much pride to change, too much pride to say I've been wrong. Too much pride because they're afraid it would, it would do too much to please somebody else, you see, and they've argued long and loud about it. Are we really serious about salvation? Is it just something to argue about, or are we really in earnest about it? What about the Ethiopian eunuch? He'd been to Jerusalem to worship. He was the secretary of the treasury. The story is told in Acts 8, 26 and following. Human nature hasn't changed. You know he signed a lot of autographs. You know that. You can just see some little boy shake hands with this man of state and, and he didn't wash that hand for a long time and it bragged to all of his peers that he'd shaken hands with the secretary of the treasury. He was a man to be reckoned with, but he was, he was religious and he was, he was serious about it. He'd been to Jerusalem. was a long way from Jerusalem to Ethiopia and especially traveling by chariot. It would take a long time to get there and to get back. On the way back of all things that he could have been doing, he could have been looking over his books. He was a man of state, probably had so many things he, he needed to be doing. But of all the things he could have been doing, he was reading his Bible. He happened to be reading Isaiah 53 that we talked about last evening that had to do with the death and suffering of Jesus Christ and what happened upon that cross. And all of a sudden, apparently from nowhere, a man of another culture, a man of another background, a man of another color skin. Right up and said, do you understand what you're reading? Now, you don't go to Washington and just barge in to see the president or the vice president. There's a protocol. There's a certain routine. You don't go to Nashville and, and barge in to see the governor of the state. There's a protocol. You have to go through proper channels. And this man didn't go through those proper channels. He just hollered out, you understand what you're reading? Now, the man in the chariot could have said, well, after all, you're out of order. You're very rude, but he didn't say that. 
because the man had something to say about what he was reading and that touched a responsive card. Even if he were not following protocol, so what? He was more interested in his soul than he was protocol. And his very quick answer was, how can I accept somebody should guide me? Now, he could have said, well, are you implying by that question that you know more than I do? Are you implying you're saved and I'm lost? Is that what you're implying? you implying I'm ignorant? Is that what you're trying to say? No, none of that. He didn't care even if he were thought to be ignorant. He was interested. He was asking the way to Zion with his face turned toward it. He wanted to go to heaven when he died. He didn't want anybody or anything to keep him out. And so he asked him to come up with the chariot with him, and he did so. And then he said, of whom did the prophets speak of themselves or somebody else? Now, really, in a sense, that shows off some ignorance. You know, the, the fellow who came up into the chariot could have said, oh, oh, oh how ignorant can you get? He thinks that, he thinks the prophets speak to himself. No, none of that. He didn't care if he would be thought ignorant. Here's a man of state, a man of position, a man of rank, a man looked up to, bowed down before, a man that people really had his name probably was a household word, but it doesn't matter. None of that really was of importance at this time. All of that was so insignificant with reference to his soul, and he wanted to be right with the Lord. And so the man began the same scripture preaches. They didn't have tapes in those days, but you could almost hear him say, you don't have a copy of that, do you? You don't have an outline of it in your pocket, do you? I'd like to have a copy of it. That's such a good message. And, and I'd like to share it. And when I go home, I'm going to think about it. Maybe we can get a whole bunch of us to obey the same. No, none of that. None of that at all. You see, when that message was given, when they came to a certain water, he said, here is water. What hand is me to be baptized? That's a new wrinkle. How many people have called John up and said, I want to be baptized? Or what hand is me to be baptized? That's a new twist, isn't it? It's usually the preacher that does the urging and the begging and the persuading and the pleading. But here's a fellow asking if he could be. You talk about asking the way to Zion with his face turned toward it, being serious about religion and really wanting to go to heaven. He was serious about it. Well, when he said, here's water, what hinders me to be baptized? He said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And you see, he didn't know when he went back if, if he would lose his job. He could because he was from pagan land. But none of that seemed to matter. He could have lost his position. The queen of Ethiopia probably couldn't care anything at all about following Jesus. But even if he lost his job, nothing else mattered. I say it matters not what else you lose if you save your soul, and it matters not what else you save if you lose your soul. If a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul, what does it profit him or what should a man give in exchange for his soul? Mark 8, 36 and 37. Now this man was busy. You know that when he got back, he had a lot of appointments to meet. You know, that's one thing when you're gone, you get back. I called my office today and I said, could you tell me about how many letters I have and so forth? And thinking about getting those... You know the man must have had much to do when he got home. His calendar would be full. He was to check this, write this note, and so forth. But all of that could wait, no matter how busy. Nothing was more important than what he was about to do now. Affairs of state could wait. No matter how many points, that could wait. They stopped that chariot then and there. No quibbling, no arguing, no debating, no discussion, no further 
explaining. He knew all he needed to know now to obey the God. He didn't know a whole lot about things, but he knew enough. He knew he was lost. He knew he was about to miss heaven, and he didn't want to miss it. And he didn't take any chance on waiting because he might not live for another occasion. He had that one moment, and he made the most of it before the most of it was gone. And he went down to the water, was baptized. The Bible said he went on his way rejoicing, and he had every reason to rejoice. He was now in charge of greater treasures than he had ever been in for the queen of Ethiopia. Are you that serious? If it dawned upon you that you're wrong, would pride keep you from making a change? Would prejudice block the way? Or would you say, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth command and I will obey. I want to be saved. I don't want to be lost. I don't want anything to keep me out. And even if it, if it means something unpopular, I'm ready to do it. You know, popularity comes from pleasing people, but greatness comes from pleasing God. That man wanted to please God and did. Are you that serious? Let me ask tonight, why are people about to miss heaven? Why would anybody in his right mind be lost? Why would anybody on earth be lost? Well, some are lost because they don't know what to do to be saved. If there are any of those in the audience tonight, let me very briefly tell you so that never again could you in life say, I've never heard what to do to be saved. The Lord gave us a book which he calls the he calls the word of faith, Romans 10, 8, because it produces faith, Romans 10, 17. Faith calls for substance, and the Bible gives us all the substance we need. Calls for evidence, gives us all the evidence we need, Hebrews 11 and 1. And the Lord said, without faith, it's impossible to please him, Hebrews 11 and 6. There must be repentance, and repentance is not just a step we take, it's a process. It's an attitude. It's not only just making right one wrong, but it's, it's a complete change of attitude toward the wrong. It's making an about face. It really deals with one's sense of values and priorities. You know, if you could find the worst slum area in the world, probably old Calcutta, India would be it. I tell you, filth, muck, and mire. Somebody who grew up to adulthood in, the, in that filth, and bring him over and put him in the best room of our nation's White House, it wouldn't be long that best room would be like a hog pen. And he'd ruin that thing. He'd be a misfit. He's never learned to appreciate the better things. He'd have to be trained. If you just snatched an old sinner out of the world and took him to heaven without any change, he'd ruin heaven, and he'd be a misfit. Some people are miserable sitting in a worship service. You have to learn to appreciate and love the things of a spiritual nature. And really, that's what the church is all about. It's somewhat of a training school to help us to learn, to appreciate, and enjoy the beauties, the grandeurs, the glories of the spiritual. And so repentance is vital. Luke 13 and 3. Acts 10 and, and 17 and 30. The Lord wants us to confess before men that Jesus is the Christ. The word confess means more than just saying, Jesus Christ, Son of God. It carries also the idea of acknowledging Him, claiming Him. And deny means just the opposite, means disclaiming. And so the Lord said, if you claim me, I'll claim you. So like James said in James 4, you draw nigh to God, He'll draw nigh to you. Come unto me and the Lord would receive us. That idea, Matthew 11, 28 and following. 
And so the Lord mentions this in Matthew 10, 32, 33, and then he mentions being born again, John 3, 3, John 3, 5, being baptized for the remission of sins. Now, you can't understand it. You don't understand how a black cow can eat green grass, produce white milk and yellow butter, but you believe it. There are a lot of mysteries all about you. But if the Lord said it, even though we might not understand all about it, we don't understand all about a physical birth, but we accept it. Let me ask you tonight, maybe you know all this, just for one or two moments, have you ever really thought for a moment what it would mean to miss heaven? Have you ever really stopped to think about it? Beloved, with an apology for a lack of language or limitation of vocabulary, but let me just try to give you some little brief glimpse as to what you're going to miss if you miss heaven. If you miss heaven, you're going to miss hearing I mean, getting to be with old Abraham and Isaac and James and Peter, James and John, Paul, the redeemed of all the earth. A wonderful fellowship. Nobody would be, would be suspicious of anybody else. Nobody would dislike anybody else. Everybody would have perfect, genuine love, not sentimental mush, but a real, genuine love and concern. Can you imagine that? And it would be endless, no goodbyes, no farewells, no breaking up, no death, tomorrow at all. But in hell there won't be any friendship. In fact, you will be surrounded by the most furious of demons. Why would anybody in his right mind, why would anybody trade the one for the other? I visited Leavenworth Prison, an inmate, and after Alcatraz was closed, most of the worst ones were taken from Alcatraz, from San Francisco to Leavenworth. Some of the worst desperators, the worst criminals. But I tell you what, to be surrounded for an eternity with the worst who have ever lived, can you imagine? Why would anybody in his right mind trade what heaven has to offer for what will be in hell? Beloved, if you miss heaven, you're going to miss hearing the heavenly chorus sing. And Mike, there's never been anything like it. We thrill to great music. We love the mighty choruses. And we're moved by the great symphonies. Can you imagine, though, the heavenly chorus? And if you make it, you're going to be a part of it. You say, I can't sing, but you will then. You say, I don't really like to sing, but you will then. We're going to have a lot to sing about and going to be singing throughout eternity and it's not going to be some canned singing that somebody else wrote. It's going to be just the outpouring. Can you imagine it? No single discord, not a sour note. My, what sound it must be. Moving. But there won't be any singing in hell. In fact, there will be nothing but the screams and the gnashing of teeth. And those screams alone would be enough to drive a man into a raving maniac. Why would anybody in his right mind, young, old, father, mother, son, daughter, why would anybody trade the one for the other? People aren't thinking sanely, really. Why would anybody be lost? Why would anybody miss heaven? Beloved, if you miss heaven, you're going to miss seeing the greatest beauty that human eyes have ever seen or hearts have ever faintly imagined. God must have loved this old planet Earth because he, 
He sure gave us a lot of beauty, and some of us have been privileged to see a whole lot of it. While the majestic splendor of Niagara Falls or the gorgeous glaciers of our 49th state, Alaska, with that beautiful blue cast and, and that beautiful backdrop of nature, I think flying over the Swiss Alps, especially when they're covered with snow and when the, the clouds are not down below the peaks, and on a clear day, and when the captain is gracious enough to bank it several times to give you a sweeping view, and as you hear the cameras click and people moving up and down the aisles of the plane and trying each one to capture on film what his eyes are beholding, it's not uncommon to hear somebody gasp because words fail. What do you say? How do you express it? You, you want to say something, but you don't know what to say. Beauty? indescribable beauty but if it were possible for all of the beauties that eyes have ever seen or hearts have ever imagined to be concentrated into one mighty mammoth beauty it wouldn't be comparable at all to the beauty and the glory and the grandeur and the majesty and the splendor of heaven how beautiful indeed it must be streets of gold oh not old not literal even more precious more precious more beautiful that's right more valuable this gold that we know perishes not that and the walls of jasper and the gates of pearl and all the semi-precious and precious stones. My, how beautiful it must be. But there won't be anything attractive about hell. It'll be outer darkness, Matthew 25, 30, darkness you can cut with a knife because there won't be any trace of God at all there. Can you imagine it? Everything we know is a trace of God, not in hell. Outer darkness. And forever and ever, that darkness alone would be horrible. Why would anybody trade the one for the other? Why? Why? Anybody in this audience, why would you be lost? What is there on earth that's, that, that's so important, that's so, so fulfilling? What is there on earth that's, that's more enjoyable than that which can be found in Christ and that which gives the greatest reward? Why? Beloved, if you miss heaven, you'll miss getting to hear that grand and welcomed applause, well done, Enter into the joys of thy Lord, said to you as an individual. I tell you, there's going to be a lot of shouting on that day. Don't you remember when you walked across that stage getting that high school diploma and after 12 long years, somehow you felt like you owned the earth. But your name personally was called out to all of those who had gathered. Or then when you came across that stage and when you were awarded that degree or a higher degree, but can you imagine marching up and walking before the Lord and for the Lord out of all of the billions and billions and billions of people who have lived and will live to say to you as an individual, well done, enter into the jaws of thy Lord. To you as an individual, oh, I tell you, there isn't anything on earth like it. We like to be introduced to those people of importance, don't we? Can you imagine being introduced by Jesus to God himself? Can you imagine it? But, beloved, there won't be any applause in, in, in hell, none, none at all. No friendship factor, no congratulations, no wishing well, none of that. If you miss heaven, have you ever thought for one second the cost of being lost in a devil's torment? Have you ever thought... Have you ever allowed yourself, young people, older people, have you allowed yourself 
one second. Now, it won't be in seconds because we'll be outside of time and space, but as we count it, one second would let you know what a fool you've been, how ridiculous, how unthinking you've been to have missed it when you could have changed that eternal destiny. Beloved, it's entirely up to you. Don't be lost. Hell is a one-way street, and there's no coming back. And once you're there, you're there forever. You know how long eternity is? We don't know. There's no way to measure, because everything we know is in time and space, and, and, and it's all measured. But somebody's given this faint idea. It's, it's crude, very limited, but if you could imagine a solid cube of granite, a mile long, a mile high, and a mile wide, and a little hummingbird lightly tipping its wing to that solid cube of granite, and fancy how long it would take the little wing of that little bird completely to wear away that solid cube of granite, eternity will have just begun, unending, forever and ever and ever and ever, world without end. And all the reprimands, why didn't I? Why didn't somebody shake me? How on earth could I have refused or neglected? Why didn't I? But all of that to no avail. Over and over the reprimands throughout all eternity. Don't miss heaven. You don't have to miss it. God wants you to be saved. He, he let Jesus die that you might be saved. Last evening we spoke of that cross. I heard of a man and wife who were divorced. They were both called to the bedside of a dying child and the estranged father stood on one side of the bed holding one little pulse and the mother on the other side holding the other. And they held those little hands until death came and when death came they let go of the hands of the little child and they reached across his dead body and they, they clasped hands and through the death of a child a mother and father were united. And our Lord in a sense with one heaven seemed to, to reach up and take hold of heaven, and with the other, he seemed to reach down and take hold of earth, and through the death of our Lord, heaven and earth clasped hands again. God and man were reunited again. And that's possible tonight. We've gone more than our time, but it would be worth it if maybe in just a few moments over the hour that we've been together, something would have been said or... Maybe something would have triggered some thought or maybe something would have just reminded you and moved you.